Good morning, good day, good evening, good night, whatever time it is, you're joining us again for another podcast episode of All Things First Aid. I'm your host, Jay. And that's the initial J, not J-A-Y. Monday, October the 10th, it's Thanksgiving here in Canada. So happy Thanksgiving to all my fellow Canadians that are listening or will listen or may listen. Today's podcast is more of a Q&A that I have noticed in my classes. Um, so if my students are asking me these following questions, then I'm pretty safe to, to bet that uh, some of you out there are wondering maybe the same thing. So this, this episode is going to be more of a Q&A from what I've gathered in teaching uh, in various classes and various groups, whether they be public groups, private groups, uh, high school educated, non-high school educated, post-secondary, secondary, graduate, all the way up. So um, not everyone has first aid training or knowledge. Not everyone's a nurse, doctor, or paramedic. And so for that, um, it's where this episode comes from. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Probably the number one question or comment I get is the use of peroxide for wound care. Those of us who are of a certain vintage, um, I'm not going to say we're old, but you know, if we're over 50, okay, we're old. Uh, Age is just a number. Um, Then we had a, a plethora of peroxide poured onto our gaping wounds until it bubbled and fizzed and look like something out of a science uh, experiment. Uh, We also had uh, mercurochrome slathered on us as well, and iodine and alcohol, and you name it, a whole host of of, uh, chemical remedies to clean the wound so you didn't get a nasty infection. Some of these have gone very off the beaten path, very passe, and some of these are still used today. So... um, Peroxide is no longer used, recommended, or even encouraged to be in a first aid kit anymore. And uh, I had a student recently who was very shocked to hear that because this person, you know, shouted to the moons about peroxide. And I said, nope, nope, and no. Um, All it takes is a quick Google search, uh, peroxide for first aid, and you will see tons of scientific research showing that it is not recommended. We haven't used it in a nursing role in over 25, 20 or so years, 25 years. The odd surgeon or physician may still order it, but that's um, not very common anymore. The reason why is very simple. It kills or slows down the healing process. So one of the principles of first aid is to promote healing. So we don't want to slow down the healing. We want to promote the healing. It, uh, at a cellular level, it damages the good skin cells. So uh, when applying peroxide, no matter how careful you are, there's still going to be some dabbed on your good skin inadvertently, and, and that can uh, slow down the healing. And this isn't me saying this. This is science. This is research. Um Tons and tons of research showing that peroxide is the uh, is what they call cytotoxic, and cyto just means cell, and toxic well just means toxic, harmful. Um, so I 
try to recommend to the class plain tap water you know if it's clean tap water uh, most of the uh, world that has access to clean tap water it should be suffice to uh, irrigate most wounds and cleans most wounds for about five or so minutes um, then apply an antibiotic cream if you have access to that on that same lines if you're going to apply an antibiotic cream please only use a small small amount uh, if too much is not a good thing so just apply a small amount to lightly cover the uh, wound. I did also read um, from a reputable source that uh, a little bit of Vaseline can be used as well if you don't have antibiotic cream. Um, as long as the Vaseline is uh, clean and not dirt, dirty itself. Um, another product that was used when I was a child was Mercurochrome. And I, I get that odd question every, every once in a while about that. Uh, it has not been legal on the market here in Canada for about almost 30 years. Uh, reason being, the active ingredient in mercurochrome is mercury. And it, all of you, we were all raised with mercury thermometers. Uh, in fact, maybe some of you still have one in your house. And our, our parents or our grandparents always were careful to tell us not to break the glass because the mercury would kill us instantly. Well, it's no different than the mercurochrome that it's in the... Uh, antiseptic that was back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So um, that has gone the way of the dodo as well. Uh, one item, two items that are still uh, recommended is iodine for wound cleansing. We, we still use iodine a lot in healthcare. Uh, and you can use alcohol wipes for cleaning uh, wounds, but do be aware that can cause some discomfort and pain to the individual. Uh, I try to use products that don't cause any pain at all. Just plain soap and water, a little bit of antibiotic cream, and a simple bandage, okay? Self-adhesive bandages. Um, in Great Britain, they're called plasters. Uh, in the U.S. and Canada, the brand name is Band-Aid. That's a brand name. Uh, so... Something that's going to cover the wound with a clean item and to keep it from having dirt or uh, getting exposed to outside, you know, dirt, rust, whatever pathogens that can make you infected. Um, so that's just something I wanted to bring up as being a very common question, the use of uh, those certain chemicals. Another common question that I get is uh, blisters, to pop or not to pop? I don't recommend popping. Uh, none, no uh, physician, uh, nursing, paramedic would recommend popping on a, on a regular basis a blister because that blister is still, skin is still closed and the fluid that's inside there is providing nutrients to the wound base. And if you go and pop a blister uh, on purpose, uh, then you're exposing that wound to... Uh, outside items, so possibly bacteria or other germs that can cause harm. Uh, and that's the really the, the real reason not to pop a blister. We don't want to have an open wound, any no matter how small it is. It doesn't take much for a pathogen or a germ to get into the body. 
and then cause havoc by uh, triggering a um, cascade effect for an infection. Okay. In first aid for stay, staying with wound care and, and, and treatment and preferabilities is looking out for the signs of, of an infection. You see a cut or a cut has happened in the next day or two. It's starting to get red or you have yellow discharge. Uh, you may see a swelling around the area too. The person may be complaining of a mild uh, fever, not feeling well, that they need to seek professional uh, assessment for that. One type of infection that can occur is uh, what's called septic uh, infection or septicemia. And that's where an infection goes into the blood system. And it, it can be very difficult to treat in certain individuals. Another common question um, that I've received and I've heard with other instructors is what position to lay a person. Because for many, many years, and uh, we, it was good side up or bad side down and that seemed to flip-flop every every time there was a change in the first aid training back in the 80s and 90s um, now we just go with position of comfort or if they're unresponsive but breathing and you're just waiting for an AM, ems or ambulance recovery position that way their airway is clear and maintained as far as like good side up bad side down position of comfort or uh, just to maintain an open airway and I that may change in the future if it does then we'll go with that like I said that's one of the the, the items that seems to always uh, flip-flop back and forth other question that I've received uh, in uh, classroom settings are what to do if a casualty or a family member does not want you to intervene for whatever reason, and the reasons can be many, just back away, give the person their space, call 911 or your local EMS, let the paramedics, the fire department, whoever is responding, let them deal with the situation. They have more training, more experience, and at the end of the day, once EMS personnel arrive, your duties, your role as a first aider have been um, accomplished, and hopefully... No, no harm was done, but do respect the wishes of the casualty or their family member if they say, no, I don't want help, but something's telling you, your gut's telling you that they, they don't look right or they, they're acting weird. Put that on uh, someone else's shoulders that has the uh, training, expertise training and the, uh, the, the knowledge to back that up. Because okay. there's certain... Cer instances where if someone says no I don't want help but and you you force yourself or you're trying to be over eager with the first aid you can wind up putting yourself in danger both physically and uh, legal ramifications for touching someone that does not want your assistance okay. um, so we always try to respect the person that is giving these requests that you know at the end of the day it's it's their uh, it's their choice Another common question that I've received is, well, what happens if my first aid runs out? You're not doing surgery. You're just putting a bandage on someone. You're doing CPR on someone. You're doing abdominal thrust or back blows for choking. 
if your if your first day training runs out, I can't speak for every country, and I'm not going to try to. I can only base my knowledge off uh, Canada, and say that we have the Good Samaritan Act that covers people who act in a prudent and reasonable way. Okay. And like I tell uh, all my classes when it comes to this type of action, going with what your latestly, latest training was, okay, sticking with that, making sure EMS is called, having a, a fully stocked first aid kit if, if at all possible or something that can help you with the resources. Okay? And lastly, I cannot stress this enough, do not imitate anything you see on TV or on the internet. That will get you in trouble, okay? Cannot stress this enough. I saw it on blank TV episode or this TV episode or this YouTube video or whatever. Not an excuse, okay? If you're not certified, not only certified, but if you're not current in the training as well, that makes you incomp, you know, incompetent for performing that skill. Uh, if I was trained to do X, Y, or Z 30 odd years ago, am I still competent? Probably not if I haven't done it in 30 years. So just, just bear that in mind. Another common question that uh, we, we get a lot of in classes is um, nerves, being nervous. And that's fair. We're, we're going out of our way to help someone. And uh, there could be a crowd gathered around or you could be there by yourself trying to help someone. Take a deep breath, put your gloves on, and just, you know, do your training. Do do the best you can. And at the end of the day, if you did the best you can, and whether the outcome was positive or negative, you're the person that went in, went above and beyond, stepped up, and did the best you could, no matter the outcome. Okay, As long as you stick to your training and you stick to what was taught to you in a first aid class, then you should be, you should be okay. Okay, it's when you start to deviate from that training and want to do something that you're not trained to do. That's where you run into trouble. Okay. Another common question that uh, we get a lot of is, will I be able to uh, actually do it in real life? The feedback we've gotten from people who've had to do first aid in a real life situation. The feedback's been positive for uh, recall and uh, being able to do it on the spot. Now, afterwards, it's a little bit different story. The person may uh, start to cry, get upset. That's that's very normal human behavior. But uh, deep down, as uh, most humans, we want to help each other. That is in our nature is to help each other. So um, you, you may have to give a statement afterwards. You may be called upon by the local law enforcement to give an account for what you saw, what you did, how you reacted, things like that. Just the facts, okay? And when it comes to having to give a statement to either fire, police, or paramedics, it's just the facts. No assumptions, no subjective thoughts, meaning I think or it seemed like. things, Words like that are not helpful. I saw, I was told, I did. Those are the uh, the best kind of objective words to when you're giving handover of care to the uh, 
advanced personnel. And most of the time, um, that's the end of it. There's very rarely will you as a first dater know the outcome unless you knew this individual personally. Another common question that uh, we get a lot is, what should I do after someone has choked and you were able to get the object up or they got the object up or somebody got the object up? The person should be, and I cannot stress this enough, assessed in a clinic or a hospital setting, either by a physician, nurse practitioner, someone who has um, higher education to assess the airway to make sure there is no signs of trauma by whatever caused the choking. Doubly so for small children and, and babies because that airway is so tiny okay, and it doesn't take much to scratch the inside of the airway with a foreign object. If there is a scratch, our body's natural tendency is to swell the area to provide nutrients and protection. Well, if you have a swollen airway, you're not breathing very well, if at any at all. So that's why it's so, so important to, to get assessed by a physician or nurse practitioner as soon as possible. Don't wait. As soon as the object comes up, they should be seen by advanced medical care. Okay. Another common question, not so common, but it's still a question, has to do with uh, CPR, stopping CPR, not starting CPR. This one can get a little bit tangly, so depending on the jurisdiction that you live in, uh, know your uh, limitations, know the law, know the statutes for uh, all, all that area. Okay, When to stop CPR? Four basic tenets are Scene becomes unsafe and you can't keep going. You're too tired to keep going. Someone takes over for you. Or the person has spontaneous resuscitation and starts breathing again on their own. Very, very rare for that to happen, but it can. Uh, so those are the four reasons to stop CPR. The fifth reason for my more intermediate and advanced people would be if there is a do not resuscitate order or advanced care directives that's in writing that is um, a legal form of, of stopping CPR. Um, I have seen in my paramedic roles where families uh, will f have arguments in front of the EMS and fire department about doing CPR on this their family member. And unless a legal document is, is usually provided, uh, we, we have to do what we have to do. And that being said, there, there are statutes for... Um, Individuals who can speak on uh, this person's behalf, whether it's written or verbal, uh, it does get a really into a tangle mess uh, as to the motives for why people are saying no, don't stop, or do stop, or you know, don't start, don't do start. Um, so there's a lot of different motives behind all this, besides the casualties or the patient's own wishes. So. Um, when I wouldn't start CPR, okay, or first aid in general, obvious signs of death decomposition. You don't have to be a pathologist to know that a person's been 
uh, deceased for a while. Uh, so, uh, decapitation, obvious sign of death. Um, body decomposition, obvious sign of death. Um, there are some other signs of death for EMS and first responders that they can determine. Uh, but as a rule, if the person is still warm, they have a head on their shoulders and their chest isn't poked out, I'm going to work on them as best as I can uh, as a regular first aid person. Now, as a paramedic, I would do a further assessment to determine if this individual has been dead for greater than X amount of minutes. Okay. Um, at the end of the day, your, your goal is the same. Your goal is to give as much assistance and guidance to a person as at all possible. Huge shout out to all of the listeners around the world. Um, I'm keep analytics on who listens to these podcasts. And by far and away, my biggest target audience is in the U.S. I'm not sure why. I'd love to get some feedback as to why, besides the population density. Is it the cost of health care? Is it uh, just pure entertainment and refresher? Uh, my second most populist uh, audience is Can Canada. Thank you very much, fellow Canadians. Um, and then third and fourth, fifth place go to uh, Great Britain, Western uh, Europe, and Southeast Asia, Australia, Ireland. So um, I really appreciate all the listeners and I appreciate the comments, the questions. And next week will mark my two-year anniversary. So October the 17th marks my two years of starting this podcast. I couldn't... I wouldn't have been able to keep going if it wasn't for the support and the um, feedback from you folks. I do appreciate it. Stay safe. Stay well. Happy Thanksgiving again to my fellow Canadians. And stay hydrated. <laughs>